God be with you. We still doing all right? We're still here? Some of us? That's okay. I'll take what we can get. Uh, so before we get into everything this morning, um, a word of thanks. Um, last week, I shared a bit about how our, my family had to put our dog, Leroy, down. Um, and you were all so kind and so generous with your support and response. So thank you for that. Thanks for getting vulnerable with me um, and loving my family and me in that way. It really did mean a lot. It was a, a super strange sermon to give. I don't remember it at all. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad it connected. I'm glad God did something with it. So thank you for being there with me in that. I also shared last week uh, that before my life went kind of sideways, sideways with Leroy's death, I had this sermon in my head about the super rad Jesus story that I learned about in my sabbatical. And one of the highlights of my sabbatical was getting to this point where I could finally turn off that part of my brain that writes sermons. It was just so amazing to listen to podcasts and read books and learn all this stuff and not feel like I had to do something with it. It was nice to just really enjoy these Bible stories or these books and these podcasts and just let them do their thing. But there was one car ride where I was listening to a podcast about the story that we just heard and I learned so much about it and it was just so good where I, I, it took everything inside of me to not go and write a sermon. There's just so much amazing stuff in this and it's one of the stories that it captures Exactly why we read these stories every Sunday, and it captures why I think Jesus is just so incredibly important. So this morning, my friends, we're going to enter into that story. I'm going to basically just pass on to you what I heard from my teacher. One of the things we talk about in communication is that there are different kinds of communication. There's, you know, uh, transmission, where I would just basically read something to you and tell you exactly what it said. Um, and today we're going to get into translation, where I'll, I'll, I'll read something and kind of translate it for my community so it makes sense to you. And so all of this stuff is really my friend Rob's, um, and I'm just kind of putting a spin on it and giving it to you, because I think this story is just so important. So the plan is, we're going to enter into this story. We're going to nerd out a bit on it. We'll weave in and out. We'll pull over in a few different places. We'll pick some stuff up along the way. And hopefully by the end of it, we'll leave here having heard one of the most liberating, one of the most powerful truths our tradition offers us. And hopefully we can each leave holding on to that. Sorry, with me in that? Okay, some of you are with All right. You got it, you got it. This is a call and response thing, people. Yeah, why not? On my sabbatical, I spent some time with a comedian in front of mine. He does stand-up. Uh, and we started the conversation thinking that we have nothing in common in terms of our professional jobs. <laughs> but it turns out that we do. Uh, because the thing that we both realized is that the communication that we do, um, it's not a one-way street. Lectures are a one-way street. You're just 
talking at people. But sermons and stand-up, it's a dialogue, it's a back and forth. Without the energy in the room, without the laughter for him, without people being like, oh, like yeah, I'm here for me, then what's the point? Because if we're not in this together, then let's just go get some mimosas somewhere and, and have a good morning. So are you with me? Thank you. All right. So there's a lot coming at you. Uh, this would be a sermon that my preaching prof would fail me on, hardcore. Because uh, there's so much packed into this, but it's all good stuff. And hopefully we can each find something to hold on to. So knowing that we are each here to rumble and to grow and connect, uh, let's take a moment to be still, to be here, and ask God to do God's thing. So would you bow your heads, please, and say a prayer. So God, here we are. And this is the time when we ask your spirit to speak, to speak in the words, through the words, around the words, giving us each something good and hope-filled to chew on. So God, make these words your own and do your thing. And I ask this in your son's name. Amen. So there is a story in the Bible. You just heard it. Cameron, thank you so much. You can find it in the Gospel according to Mark. Um, and that's one of those collections of Jesus stories that we have that, that basically talk about who Jesus is and why Jesus is so important. And the story that we just heard is a story that would make Stephen King very, very jealous. Now, one of the things I really enjoy doing, I spend a lot of time doing this, more time than I probably should admit, um, I love learning about people's creative process. I love listening to podcasts or books or TV shows or whatever. And I love to hear about how people do this mysterious job of grabbing ideas out of thin air and turning them into beautiful works of art or food or poetry or music. And I love to discover just how do you navigate all that? What do you do to make that happen? Now, for some reason, I was reading up on Stephen King, which is weird because I don't really enjoy Stephen King. Um, and I learned that there's one part of writing that he always struggles with. And that's the opening line. He says, by far and away, the most difficult part of his creative process is figuring out that opening line to the story. And he struggles with it because he thinks it's the most important. He puts it this way. He says, a really good first line can do so much. It's the first line that acquaints you, that makes you eager, that starts to enlist you for the long haul. There's an incredible power in it when you say, come in here, you want to know about this, and then someone begins to listen. And I think this story that we just heard will make Stephen King jealous because this story has one of the best opening lines that you'll ever hear in your entire lives. And Jesus said, Let's go across the lake to the land of the Gerasenes. I know, right? I mean, does it get better than that? And Jesus said, let's go across the lake to the land of the Gerasenes. Doesn't really connect, does it? Yeah, it didn't resonate with me either. Uh, so let's pull over here for the first time because... This line is, it is really the best opening line ever. 
So up to this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus has been out doing his thing, talking about who God is and, and how God works. That God is bringing everyone and everything back together to create this world where everyone has a place and everyone has enough. This world of hope and justice, peace and joy. And if you look where Jesus has been doing his thing, you'll notice that he starts off in the synagogue, then he goes down to Capernaum, and then he goes down by the lake of Galilee, and then he goes back up to the synagogue, and then he goes back down to the lake, and then he goes back to Galilee where he speaks to a large crowd. So what does that movement tell us? It tells us that he's basically stuck uh, close to home. He's speaking to his people. He's working within his own tribe. He's doing his thing on the east side of the lake, basically ministering to very small fishing villages to largely poor, uneducated, orthodox Jews. Now this is super interesting for a couple of reasons. But most of all, it's super interesting because it tells us so much about the disciples. And that's that group of 12 students that Jesus invited to follow him and learn about his way. And now what Jesus is doing would certainly be blowing their minds, opening up a whole new world to them. What the movement of Jesus tells us is that while their minds would be, be, would be being blown, he was doing it in a place that would be familiar. The disciples would still know how to exist in all of those areas. So while the content may be challenging, the framework, the setting, the language, the box, it would still be comfortable. You can imagine the disciples thinking as they follow Jesus around, like saying, okay, this whole Jesus thing is super challenging, but it's okay. He's speaking my language. I recognize kind of the language and framework that he's used, and I can see how it all fits together. This is relatively still safe and still comfortable. Okay, I can do this. Are you with me? So the disciples, they're pretty content as they follow Jesus along. They're going these places they've all been before. And then Jesus says, okay, let's go across the lake to the land of the Gerasenes. And him saying that will stop the presses and hold the phone because that is about the most scandalous, most ridiculous, most bonkers thing that Jesus could have ever suggested. No exaggeration in that. Because over there, across the lake, that was the Decapolis. Over there wasn't simply across the lake. For Jesus' disciples, that may have well been another universe as far as they were concerned. Because the Decapolis that was this Greek megacity. It was made up of ten different cities, one of them being Gerasa, thus, let's go to the land of the Gerasenes. And the megacity goes back all the way to Alexander the Great, who was this, this king that tried to conquer the whole known world. And his, his scheme was basically, let's make the whole thing Greek. Let's spread Greek culture around the entire world. And the Decapolis was one of those mega cities that represented everything that he wanted to do. It was a thoroughly Greek area. So it was there in the Decapolis that you would worship the emperor. It was there in the Decapolis that you wouldn't just name the gods and goddesses, 
but you would carve images of them. It was there in the Decapolis that you would wrestle naked. It was there you'd eat bacon. It was there that thousands and thousands and thousands of people came from all over the known world, and they would gather there. And that's where Jesus wanted to take the disciples. That's where Jesus wanted to take these poor, illiterate, small-town Jewish fishermen who maybe went to Jerusalem, but probably never left their little region of Galilee. And now they're going to go across the lake to the Decapolis? To go there would have been like going to a different planet. This would have been socially, religiously, culturally, and politically massive. This was a huge paradigm shift for the disciples. Jesus was taking them out of what was known and comfortable and into something new and strange. Are you with me? And here's why this is so important. And this is the lesson this little opening line gives us. The Spirit will always move us from the safe and comfortable to the new and difficult. When it comes to the spiritual life, the kind of life we're here trying to find through Jesus, the kind of life that hums with reverence, this life of wholeness and purpose and joy, it will always, always, always mean going from what is known and comfortable to what is unknown and difficult. The Spirit's job is to take us into new places, new places within us, new places around us. That's what this divine energy does. She's constantly expanding and expanding our known lives and universes, calling us into places and spaces we never even knew existed, But once you enter into them, you can never imagine living without. Because the truth is, the hard truth is, if we want that life of wholeness, it means we're going to have to go into some scary and new places. It means you're going to have to cross the lake. Now for some of us, that might mean entering into a wound or resentment that we've been carrying around. For others, it may mean learning to let go of something. For others, it may mean take a risk. But whatever it is for you, the wisdom in that opening line of this story is that if you really want a life that's deep and whole, we can never, ever let our present container contain us. We always need to learn to cross the lake. We need to learn to take that initiative, take the risk, bust down those walls, step into our boat, and sail into what's next. As one of my teachers put it, the risk that churches often make is worshiping Jesus for doing the journey instead of doing it ourselves. The mistake we risk, the mistake we can't risk making is worshiping Jesus for doing the journey instead of doing it ourselves. We call him the way for a reason, because he shows us how to enter into that life connected to God, each other, and ourselves. And all of that. And Jesus said, let's go across the lake to the land of the Gerasenes. Stephen King would be jealous. So, Jesus' disciples, they get in the boat, they cross the lake, and they arrive in this new and foreign land. And as soon as they pull up on shore, we have this whole bit 
but how a man with an unclean spirit comes up to Jesus, this man who lived among the graves, who nobody could seem to help, who would hurt himself with stones. And he comes up to Jesus, he bows before him, and he yells, what business do you have to do with me, son of the most high God? And then before Jesus can even cast the unclean spirit out, the man's all, don't torture me. And Jesus is like, what's your name? And the man's legion. Again, weird, right? What do we do with this? Well, again, here's what I learned about this that totally opens up this story in a brand new way. How many of you heard about Garrisaw before today? Yeah, me either. I had no idea. But if we were the original audience, if we were some of the disciples, we would know about Garrisaw. And we wouldn't know it just because it's that terrifying place across the lake. We would know about Garrisaw because of something that happened there in the first century. In the first century, uh, as the Roman Empire kind of cemented its grip on the world, in order to demonstrate how big and powerful they were, in order to show what would happen if you ever chose to resist or defy them, the empire decided to make an example out of a place called Garrisaw. And so one day, the empire sent three legions of soldiers into Garrisaw. And just to give you a taste of what that is, three legions is 18,000 elite soldiers, 2,000 cavalry, 1,500 infantry. All of that heading into the city of Garrisaw. And they completely and totally destroyed and decimated the city. Josephus, one of the first century historians, he talks about how those soldiers killed all the men, they enslaved all the women, they killed all the kids, they salted the earth, and they burnt everything down. Garrisaw was known as a place that knew death and despair. Whenever you would think Garrisaw, you would think oppression, violence, and death. Imagine the aftermath of all of that. Imagine the trauma that would cause. Imagine what that would do to people emotionally, physically, spiritually, socially. And knowing now what we know about trauma, imagine what that would do to future generations of children. That whole trauma shaping them, haunting them, all of them having to live by this narrative that was given to them. This narrative that said, this is how the world works. This is a world of violence and despair. You submit or you die. So give up hope for anything different. And we can imagine, can't we, what that would do to them. With the ending to their stories already written. We can imagine them thinking, why even bother? Right? Why even bother to fight it? And maybe some of us here this morning get that. Maybe some of us here know that kind of trauma. Maybe some of us have had the endings to our stories given to us. Maybe some of us know what it feels like to be occupied by something. 
to feel hopeless and powerless over it, feeling like maybe this is just who I am. Maybe this is how my life is going to go. Maybe this is just the life that I get. And so when this man, when he comes up with the unclean spirit, he goes up to Jesus and he says his name is Legion. This name of the Roman army. Maybe this is what he's dealing with. Maybe it's that trauma that he's occupied with. Maybe the thing that fills him up, this unclean spirit, is that narrative that he's been given. And so he's there living amongst the tombs, living amongst death, living out the story that he's been given because he's already been declared dead. Because what is a life without hope but death? But I don't think Mark is just making that point by having Jesus ask his name and answering legion. I wonder if Mark is going a bit deeper than that. And I wonder if Mark's point is this. That we can't be liberated from something that we can't name. You can't be liberated from something that you can't name. If we don't know what it is that occupies us, if we can't name that unclean spirit, if we can't speak it, we can't be saved from it. The writer and theologian Fred Beekner says that naming brings confrontation. To name something is to have power over it. To name something is to shift that power dynamic. And we see this take place in that fairy tale of Rumpelstiltskin. Until she can name him, she has no power over him. And we see this in therapy, and why therapy can be so important to help us realize what's going on inside of us. Oh, I'm not depressed, I'm just sad. Okay, I'm sad. Now I know what I'm dealing with. Now I know the path forward. Oh, I really do hate that person. Okay, forgiveness is next. Okay, I now know where I have to go. Oh, that narrative was given to me by that coach that told me I can never amount to anything, so no wonder I don't even try it stuff. Oh. When you name something, the entire landscape changes. And for us who need to be free from the things that hold us captive, we first have to do the really brave work of confronting it, of naming it, of knowing it, because it's only then, once we name the thing, that we can have hopes of being set free. And so this man, he gives his name, he gives legion, he names the thing that he's suffering from. And the man says to Jesus, but please, Jesus, don't torture me. Send me into that herd of pigs on the hillside. Again, weird, right? But again, something really beautiful and something huge underneath it. So let's recap for a second. Who's occupying the man? the Roman Empire, the narrative that he's been given by the empire. It's the empire that's speaking on behalf of him. The Roman Empire, the biggest, the baddest, the most powerful force in the universe at that time. That's what's got a hold of this man. 
that's who's told the man, your life is basically over, so you might as well go live in the tombstones because that's where you're going to end up. So what's going on here in this little encounter about don't torture me and the pigs? The Roman Empire is asking Jesus not to torture it. The Roman Empire is bowed down in front of God, asking, please, don't torture me. And we find in this weird little bit about pigs, one of the most beautiful truths this story offers us. That the things that have given us the endings to our stories, that the things that occupy us and hold us captive, the things that feel so overwhelming, so powerful, and so strong, the things that leave us feeling helpless and powerless, they are not bigger than God. And that's huge, huge news because it tells us something else. That those of you who are occupied with those false narratives, for those of you who have a boot on your neck, for those of you who feel helpless, you don't need to live like that. You don't need to live like that. Those things do not have the final word. There's another ending to your stories. And then we see that whole truth acted out. The unclean spirit is sent into a herd of pigs, and the possessed pigs run down the hill into the lake, and they drown. Sound familiar to anyone? Can we remember a story about the empire drowning on behalf of God? Which, what is it? Moses and the Exodus. Mark is doing something really brilliant here. Super, super clever. He's retelling the story of the Exodus through Jesus. That story where God freed captive, oppressed people from one empire and was leading them into a new story, a new way of living. And the empire wasn't going to have any of it. They're like, nope, you don't get to decide what's what. And they chased them. And then as they free people walked through the lake that had separated, God collapsed the lake on top of them, drowning the empire, freeing the people from that threat, letting them escape into a new, wide, and open place. The Exodus story and this story about Jesus reminds us that God gives us a new story to tell by freeing us from the things that hold us captive. And so all of this goes down. And understandably, everyone's freaked out. And the storyteller even says that when word spread about what had happened to the man and the pigs, the entire city and country showed up. Everyone came out to that beach to see what had been going on. Like Jesus didn't even make it past the beach. This is all going down right on the shore. And again, this is where things get interesting. Because you'd think, knowing what we know about Garrison and the trauma that everyone there is living with, you'd think everyone would be thrilled with what had happened. 
You'd think that they'd want to know that this trauma they experienced, they can be free from that too. That doesn't have to define all of us. You'd think they'd be like, we don't want to live this way either. Jesus, help us, help us. You'd think they'd say, Jesus, don't worry about the 2,000 pigs. Freedom is worth it. But no, they all freak out. They see the man who had the unclean spirit sitting there on the beach, drinking a cup of coffee. He's super calm and collected. And what do they do? They kick Jesus out. They force Jesus to leave. I mean, they don't, they don't want what the guy is offering. Don't they want liberation for themselves? But that's the thing, isn't it? Liberation is scary. Liberation is disruptive. There comes a point where oppression and injustice, occupation, despair become so normal that the very idea of being free from it is alarming. There comes a point when we see people moving beyond what we know and are familiar with where we become afraid. There comes a point when our dominant narratives are challenged and rewritten that we freak out and resist. Anyone know that fear? Anyone know the fear of liberation? Yeah, I think we feel it all the time. We feel it when our kids are figuring stuff out that we wish we figured out. We feel it when we see our friends discover new ideas that are changing them completely. We feel it when old ways of doing things are left behind and new ways of doing things are brought in. And we, just like these people in this story, we protest and we resist because it would just kick up too much dust. It would just be too uncomfortable. The risk, oh, I don't think we can make the risk because it would just turn everything completely upside down. Going across the lake, it's not easy. The hardest thing you'll ever have to do in your life is trust that another kind of story is possible. The hardest thing we'll ever have to do is say yes to being liberated and stepping into a new kind of world that we don't fully understand. And so they drive Jesus out, and Jesus and his buddies, they get back in the boat. They're about to head home when the man who had the unclean spirit comes up, and he tries to join them. He's just been given this brand new store, and he wants to go with them. He wants to learn more. He sees the disciples and assumes they've had similar experiences. So he's like, let's go. I want to come with you. And again, it gets weird. Because you would think that Jesus would be like, man, of course, jump in. There's room for everybody. Thomas, move over. Come, follow me. Because that's how it works, right? Jesus is all about following him. You experience God's grace, you let it transform your life, and then you join people in this thing we call church, and you just follow Jesus. That's where this life that we're after is found, isn't it? I mean, that's how faith and spirituality works, isn't it? You follow after Jesus. But yet, here is Jesus saying no 
to someone who wants to follow him. No, I'm sorry, man, who has just been freed. You can't come and follow me. Instead, what does Jesus say? You need to stay here in your home and you need to go and tell your story. And yet again, in the weirdness, is a really beautiful truth. Perhaps the biggest truth this story offers us. And that truth is this. The only thing God wants from us is to live like we're free and to tell our story. Which is to really say, when it comes to living this life that we're after, this life freed to live in a new story, this life that hums with reverence, the only thing you need to do is be who you are, where you are. And just sit with that for a second. All that's needed from us is for us to be who we are, where we are. To enter into this life, you don't need all the answers. You don't need to know the vocabulary. You don't need to have it all together. We don't need the traditions and the trappings. All we need to do is be ourselves. When it comes to a life of faith and spirituality, all that's needed is for us to live out the story that God has been given us. It is really that simple. All it takes is the courage to be you. And that goes to the church as well. One of the very first words to describe the church was this Hebrew word, idah. And idah means to witness. It referred to a group of people who had gathered to witness the bigger story that they have been a part of. That story, the spirit that's making all things new. This spirit that is leading everyone and everything towards wholeness. That spirit that frees us by showing us a new way to be human and alive in this world. When it comes to being the church, all of this, the stuff that we do here together, it's simply decoration on top of how we live and how we tell our stories. Because it's there. By living a new story, by not surrendering to the endings that we've been given, by simply being who we are, that the world can change. And we can have that kind of world that we know deep down in our souls was always meant to be. And if you ever have any doubts about that, all you need to do is read the ending to this story. And it's a kind of a sneaky ending. Because the ending to this story doesn't take place until three chapters later. It's in chapter 7. So we're told that Jesus and his friends leave. They go back to Galilee. And Jesus keeps doing his thing for maybe a year or so. But then one day, once again, Jesus takes his disciples across the lake to the land of the Gerasenes. And Jesus pulls up on the shore. And guess what happens? We're told that the entire city and the entire country is waiting for him. But this time, instead of running Jesus out, 
They bring everyone who needs to be healed in front of him. Instead of running him out, they invite him in, asking for Jesus to give them all a new story to live by. So what happened? How did that land go from a place where they wanted to kill Jesus to a place where they wanted to invite him in and do his thing? There's only one explanation. And that explanation has to be there was once this man who had an unclean spirit. He was given it by the empire. And he lived this life of despair and death. But then one day this man named Jesus showed up and he told him, you don't need to live like that. God's bigger than your oppression. Here's a different story you can tell him. And God sent him free. And that man believed it. He lived like he was free. And he went around telling his story to everyone who would listen. And slowly, ever so slowly, people began to question their own narratives, wondering if they too could live by a different story, wondering if they too could be set free, wondering if they didn't have to live like that. And so a year later, when this Jesus guy showed up once again, they all went to the lake. And they got ready to cross it. They got ready to say yes to liberation. Yes to a new ending. All because of who? A dude who lived out his story. A dude who simply was who he was, where he was. The big, beautiful, liberating truth this story offers us is that all you need to be is you. All you need to be is you because your story matters. The truth is God uses average, ordinary humans like me and you to change the world around us. You have the power to transform the world. And all you have to do is be who you are, where you are. That's it. That's all it takes. And so for you who have encountered the story, you who have had a moment where you've experienced God give you a new narrative, all you have to do is go and tell it. Go live it out. And may you trust that that's enough. Go and cross that lake. Go and step out into liberation. And when you run into God on that beach, And you say, here I am, Lord. Receive what you've been given. Take that new narrative. Live by that new narrative. And know it's enough. So my friends, as you enter into the world, take your stories with you. May you go in peace. May you go in love. May you go and do it loudly. And to that, all God's people say, Amen. Why don't we stand up and sing a song together?